and that lets you save who cares true form life green look on Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome back to another edition of Nationally Syndicated, Exploring Mind and Body. As you just heard, I'll be your host, Drew Tadia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our True Form Life community and checking out each interview that we have going on. Today, I'm bringing on Dr. Vidge, who is the author of Turbo Metabolism, Eight Weeks to a New You. I love the title. I love this book even more. There's so much to it. And what's most important to me is when I share messages on the show like this, it's that that they resonate with what I believe in. And I feel like this book has everything to do with that. It's more of a holistic approach. It's not a quick fix or how to boost your metabolism and lose a bunch of weight quick and then gain it all back like most of those kinds of things they have going on. This talks about, it's a beautiful book, Turbo Metabolism. I highly suggest you check it out. And Dr. Vidge is such a great guy. He's got so much information sharing with you. He talks about going deep and looking into treating diabetes, obesity, heart disease. It's not just about increasing your metabolism, but helping you sustainably burn body fat and lose weight through recipes and understanding what's going on emotionally. It's not just the external syrup, which isn't a long-term effect, which doesn't really create sustainable and lasting changes, again, which is what I love so much about it. So there's so much information. There's so much takeaways here that you can start implementing right away. So sit back and enjoy. We got all that coming up. Uh... This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here. I couldn't be more excited to welcome on Dr. Vidge with us here today on the show. And he's with us right now. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Vidge. Thank you, Drew. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm an avid listener. I think you do a fantastic job, and I can't even believe that I'm, I'm one of your guests today. So thank you. <laughs> that means so much. We appreciate that. Today we're talking about turbo metabolism. Your book is Eight Weeks to a New You. I know there's so many people excited about this show here. Now, I want to get into that, but before I do, I want to hear about your background and how you got into what you're doing now. Yeah, so real quick, I'll give you a, a, a quick summary. Uh, I spent the first 25 years of my life in New Delhi, India. I grew up in India. And after that, I came to the United States, and I've been practicing internal medicine for the last 20 years or so. I'm in Northern California on the west coast of the U.S., and I practice internal medicine with a special interest in metabolic diseases and obesity. And with that, out of that interest came this book that I've been working on for the last two years. And it came about because I was just seeing in my practice all these people with metabolic diseases, with diseases related to obesity and overweight that were really impairing the quality of their lives. I'm talking about things like prediabetes and type 2 diabetes and heart disease and strokes and cancers and really the black plague of the 21st century, the, the diseases which are making 
shortening people's lives and making the quality of our lives so much worse than they could be are all preventable. And that's what urged me to really look out and find the best information that I could find and synthesize it in a way that people could understand so that they can take some action and have a better life. Why do you think obesity is such a main topic in today's day and age? Well, we know in, it, traditionally humans have been malnourished because of lack of calories and scarcity of food. And here in the last century or so, we have created an environment where we have an overabundance of calories, but we're still malnourished. So obesity is really a disease of malnourishment in that we're getting lots and lots of calories, but we're not getting the nutrition, the nourishment that the body needs. And and this because of our artificially creating this system of, you know, what looks like abundant food for everyone, but it's really not providing them with, providing the body with the ingredients that it needs. Coupled with that, we have mechanized everything. We have we have artificially created an environment for which we haven't really evolved to exist or survive in. And so it's that combination of changing the environment to make it unsuitable to the organism from for, with which we've evolved. And how can we change that environment? Well, the, in, in essence, the key would be to try to live our lives in a more in a way that's more compatible with the way that our ancestors have evolved to live in a more ancestral way of living which would mean eating foods that are unprocessed that are closer to the source foods that perhaps people might have eaten you know 100 200 300 years ago that didn't have all these artificial unpronounceable ingredients and and harmful chemicals and pesticides and fertilizers and insecticides and GMOs, that things that we have invented in our uh, folly, which we thought was wisdom, but really foolishly we've invented all these things that, that don't really work very well with us. And to in other ways, too, to live our lives in ways in which our ancestors would have lived. You know, our ancestors were walking from place to place where they were walking 15 to 20 miles a day just in search of food and shelter. And we are sedentary. You know, we're very lucky if we meet those 10,000 steps. Right, our ancestors evolved to live, lift heavy objects, to climb up trees, to to scale walls and scale things that are, that are obstacles in their way, to be able to get up from a squatting position, to do a push up, to do a pull up. Simple things that we've lost the ability to do. I mean, I know I talk to people every day, and the majority of my patients tell me tell me that they can't get up if they were sitting on the floor in a squatting position, and yet. In all our evolution, we have had to get up from a squatting position just to go to the bathroom, you know, at least once a day or several times a day. Humans would have to squat on the ground just to to pee or poop, and we have lost, you know, those simple abilities. We've got artificial lights coming. We've got these blue lights that are being emitted from our devices that interfere with our sleep patterns, right? So, so living more in sync with the circadian rhythm, with the day and night cycle, uh, to dim the lights in the evening, to get to bed at a certain reasonable time, to get up when the sun rises, right? These are really common sense, simple things. And all the stressors that we look at, look around us, stressors related to the taxes not being paid, traffic jams, road rage, right? Work deadlines. These are not things that we have evolved over the hundreds of thousands of years that humans have existed on the planet. The stressors that we've evolved to cope with and have mechanisms in the body 
to cope with our, you know, life-threatening dangers of being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. And in that situation, that flight-or-fight response is appropriate and needed. But, you know, we don't have those dangers anymore, and instead we fret about things that are not really life-threatening, and we don't know how to turn off that stress response. So it's all these things, this changes in the food, changes in activity, changes in sleep, changes in the uh, stress management or stress response of the body. It's, it's all these things that we have changed the environment to an unnatural state that we need to restore. What is, you call yourself uh, inter- a doctor of internal medicine, what is that? Internal medicine, you know, it's, it's, it took me a while to understand this too. It's like, what, what is it that, that we really do? And internal just means that it looks at all the internal organs. So internal medicine is about heart and lungs and liver and kidneys. It's all those internal organs that we don't see as opposed to, say, a dermatologist that sees everything on the surface, on the skin. So it's, it's about, it, it's to the internal organs. And and what when you work in the medical field, is it challenging to take a holistic approach and look from the inside out? It is challenging because the, again, the way that we are trained and the way that you know things are structured is looking at things on a very mechanistic level. It's looking at it as a machine, and we're trained to look at okay, what is the best medicine for this? What is the best? pharmacological treatment for this condition or what is the procedure that I can do to make this condition better. But in reality, if you think about it, you know, it is very holistic. All these parts don't work in isolation. They work in conjunction, in collaboration, in cooperation with each other. And so we have to understand that there's a mind-body connection. There's a connection between how you sleep and how your heart's going to work and how your food is digested and how your liver is going to function. All those things are related. And really, it becomes a lot more fun, too, when you start to connect those dots and see those connections that were previously, maybe they're not that obvious on the surface, but once you make those connections, that's where you can really make a difference and move the needle. Your book is called Turbo Metabolism. Can you explain to our audience what metabolism is? Yeah, Drew, it's really simple. Metabolism is simply about energy delivery, right? So metabolism is the sum total of the energy-producing and energy-consuming transactions that are going on in an organism or in a person or in an organ, whatever you want to think about it. So in essence, metabolism is about energy transactions. It's about how I take the food that I eat, right, the nice, colorful uh, Greek salad that I had for lunch, how does that get converted into energy for me to win at the tennis match. That's metabolism. It's the transformation of fuel into energy that can propel us to move forward, to go places, to have beautiful experiences, to live the type of life that we want to live, or not, right? A lot of people aren't having that, and a lot of people are finding that they are cloudy-headed, that they're tired, that they're sleepy, that they want to take a nap after they eat, that uh, they're feeling sluggish, that they're not having the quality of life that they would like to have. And so I would say that, you know, these people are not in a state of turbo metabolism. Turbo metabolism is about having boundless energy, about having good quality of life, about really living the type of life that you would like to live. We're here for a short time. We want to make the best of it. So I understand you have a, a book with all these details and it's, it's not a simple question, but 
in the simplest form, how can we increase our metabolism? In the simplest form, the ways that we can increase the metabolism uh, would be what we do with our feet, forks, and fingers, right? We want to give the body the right fuel so that it, it, it burns properly. Just like if you have a car that, that asks for premium, oct you know, high-octane fuel, you don't put diesel in the gas tank. So that would be the key. Food is medicine. So that would be number one would be forks. What we do with our forks is we eat. So forks. The second would be feet, what we do with our feet. And I know you're all about fitness and exercise and activity. So looking at not only cardio exercise, but also weightlifting so that we can activate those large muscles because those large muscles will, will burn energy even at rest. They help us burn fat. Muscles burn fat. So feet, forks. And the third thing is fingers. Fingers, uh, the, the traditional way in which we can put toxins in our bodies, what do we do with our fingers? A lot of people smoke. But there will be other ways in which we put in toxins into the body, and that would be, again, in terms of food additives, in terms of eating processed food that is loaded with you know, junk flavoring and texturing and things that uh, increase shelf life. So we want to decrease toxins. So we want to eat the right food. We want to have the right activity. We want to minimize toxins. And the other three are, are, there are three more words too that would be part of the book. That would be sleep, stress, and love. So we want to have good quality and good quantity of sleep. We want to manage stress uh, in a, uh, and really manage our response to the psychosocial stressors around us so that we can stay in a state of, uh, we can balance that sympathetic with the parasympathetic response. And the third piece, uh, the last piece, which I mentioned at the end, but last but not the least, is love. Having meaningful social connections and relationships, feeling supported, you know, having a team of, of friends, of well-wishers that help us achieve these goals can be crucial because more than willpower, it's about friend power, it's about who, who our peers are, and people that are well-supported and loved I have a much easier time making decisions that are conducive to health. And on the other hand, um, loneliness and isolation can be really the ingredients for self-destructive habits. You mentioned sleep there. This, this is a, a major subject that comes up often. People don't sleep enough or they can't get a restful night's sleep. What would you recommend to help improve sleep habits or sleep in general? Yeah, so we have a whole chapter on sleep in the book, and there's been tons and tons of research done on this topic and still being done. And what's really fascinating to me is that there's a connection between sleep and metabolism. Um, so the way that you sleep, if you're getting enough sleep, quality and quantity of sleep, the way that you, your body will metabolize your food and give you energy is going to be much, much better. Things that we can do, simple things are... Really, again, to get in sync with the circadian rhythm, the rhythm of the sun rising and the sun setting. So get up when it's light outside. Spend some time outdoors in the bright light so that your body knows what daytime is. And then when evening comes around, start dimming the lights. Get away from your devices, from your iPods and iPhones and laptop screens and email. And, uh, you know, really to... Let your body know that this is evening time. We're getting ready for our bedtime routine. We're getting ready to put the baby to rest, as it were. And really think about it when, you know, if you have little kids, 
What do you do when it's close to bedtime? You might dim the lights, you put on some soft music, you might give the baby a shower, a warm shower in the evening, you're reading them a book that's calming. You know, it's the same thing. You want to treat yourself as if you're your best friend or you're your, you know, you, you would treat your child. So having that bedtime routine, eating a light meal in the evening, not eating something really heavy, not doing anything that's going to upset you or get you super excited. And actually, exercise is good for you, but doing heavy exercise really close to bedtime might actually keep you awake. So it's those simple things. We term them under sort of the umbrella of sleep hygiene, but it's really about having healthy sleep habits. Uh, but the reality is that as the secret to a good night's sleep starts from the mo- moment that you wake up in the morning. So really having living your whole life, spending your whole day uh, in such a way that by the end of the day, you're winding down and your work is done and it's time to relax. And uh, those two or three hours are really the most critical time to be able to get a good night's sleep. You you have a, a number of different recipes in your book here. Are are these you, recipes you've created? Are you a, a bit of a chef on the side as well? <laughs> the, some of them are my recipes. Yeah, that was the most fun part of the book and actually the most challenging too. I never realized that... Uh, you know, putting recipes in the book would would be so challenging because then you have to look at all these details and you know, many of the recipes came from my mom and my grandma and it, and you know they would just say hey a, a pinch of turmeric here and you know a little uh, <laughs> bit of black pepper and I'm working with a publisher and you know the editor saying no what do you mean by a pinch is it <laughs> you know is it half a teaspoon is it an eighth of a teaspoon. How long do you have to fry the onions? What color do they need to be? How much heat? What size of a pan do you have to use? What kind of pan? Uh, but yeah, so, so many of them were from my family. Some of them are from my friends or um, other people that I respect in the field of food as medicine. And But the really the goal is to provide some ideas in how you can nourish the body and how you can feed yourself, but do it in a way that you can create food that tastes good, that's nourishing, and that's easy to prepare because think about it. We want food to be tasty. We're looking for food that's familiar and we want it to be convenient. And if we can take back the food preparation back into our own hands, that is the most powerful thing that you can do in terms of regaining, your, reclaiming your health. And, and that's, that's probably one of the reasons why we're in the midst of this big mess of an obesity epidemic too is that we have given up you know, the control of food preparation to somebody else, whether it's a restaurant or you're picking up food from somewhere or somebody else is preparing the food for you. And once you give up that control, you know, you're giving it to them and they're preparing food that's going to, that's going to taste good and it'll often be addictive, but it's loaded with salt, sugar, fat, and other things that are there to make it taste good and have it a good shelf life, but it's not geared towards making you healthy. Do you have a favorite recipe? Uh, my favorite recipes would uh, would is would be some of the soups that I have in there. Um, I really like uh, mung dal. I have some dal recipes, which are these Indian soups uh, uh, that are easy to prepare. My recipe, I have a ten bean soup recipe. I would say that would be my favorite out of all of these, and it's easy to do. I've done it a thousand times. You can do it in the slow cooker, so you can just put all the ingredients in this in the crock pot or slow cooker overnight, and you wake up in the morning and your soup is ready to go. Sounds delicious. I'm going to have to try it. I'm, uh, Please. <laughs> I'd like to cook myself. So uh, I'm looking at your recipes here, like 
we have a shredded Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. And uh, there's, so, there's so much. Is, do you have a favorite part of this book? There's, it's a beautiful book. There's so much information in here. What, do you have a favorite part? I would have to say that I had the most fun writing the stress chapter. And the sleep chapter is right, right up next to it. So the sleep and stress chapters are probably my favorite part. I, I really, really, really am fascinated by the mind-body connection. And, you know, because I think a lot of the other stuff is quite obvious. Yes, food is medicine. Yes, we should be eating a nutrient-dense, plant-rich diet. You know, everybody knows we should be exercising and lifting weights and so on. But when we start thinking about you know, the, the psychosocial aspects of all of this, that I think is where the key is because you, you can know what you need to do, but the difference between knowing and doing is that emotional buy-in and that emotional buy-in can only come in when we're mentally in the right state and that right mental state is going to come if we have a way of managing stress very well and we're sleeping well, we're rested. We make much better decisions. So that's why I think that's the most crucial part. And that those are the chapters where I had the most fun. So when it comes to stress in general, I really enjoy this topic as well. What, what things stress us out? I mean, there's work, there's family. It seems like there's so much. Is there anything that we could narrow down to dig deep, dig deep about? Well, again, the, the, I think the, the real question is not what stresses us out, but what, how do we respond to it, right? So instead of uh, reacting, instead of being in a state of reaction, if we can formulate a response to something, then, then it's a very, very much different outcome. So the stressors are still going to be there, and, and you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's work, it's home, it's you know, disagreements with the spouse, it's what your children are up to, it's addictions, it's problems in the family, it could be money, it could be taxes, it could be you know, pollution outside, it could be traffic jams, it's taxes. Those things don't change, right? They're still going to be there. And for the most part, they are beyond your control. What's within your control is how you react to it, how you respond to it. And that's going to make the most difference in the world. And so I think that's where we should be focusing our energy is like, what is my strategy? Yes, the stress is going to be there. There's nothing that I can do about the crazy guy who's going to cut me off on the freeway. And am I going to, you know, start yelling and screaming and have my blood pressure go up? Or am I going to have some other response to this thing that is going to happen? And I think that's where the key, the key is. So having some control and predictability on my response uh, having outlets for stress, whether it's for me, it's spending time outdoors, spending time with my family, you know, listening to some nice relaxing music, maybe playing a musical instrument, um, exercise, social connections. Those are my, my way of mitigating that stress and activating the parasympathetic response so that I already have a plan. Yes, those things are going to happen, but it's not going to cause me to have a bad day. In other words, the pain is going to be mandatory but the suffering is optional and you you have chakras in here as well which is another interesting subject for me why does that involve metabolism or how do those two relate <laughs> i got a lot of flack about that from many of my <laughs> colleagues who were who were reviewing the book and several people actually refused to write uh, an endorsement for me because they said that was too fluffy <laughs> but i <laughs> but i put that in there anyway and 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 the idea really is for what I was trying to do was to show the parallels between chakras, which we know know about from 10,000 years ago from Patanjali's yoga, to more recently things like 
you know, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You look at the hierarchy of needs and it parallels very much what the chakras are telling us. And then in my clinical practice in dealing with people with morbid obesity, invariably what comes up are things like childhood abuse, sexual abuse, you know, people that have been uh, raped, post-traumatic stress disorder. So you look at, you know, the uh, safety and security needs not having been met, being manifest sometimes much later in life, 10, 20, 30 years later, in terms of a physical uh, symptom, right? The obesity is just a symptom. So this this woman who was abused as a child is now 35 years old and she has an eating disorder because she hasn't gotten over the trauma of her safety and security being threatened when she was six years old. And until we address that, that trauma from when she was six years old, we're not going to be able to take care of this problem in 2018. So that's the connection. So we have to look, you know, peel the onion and go beyond the layers of just what we're seeing as a physical symptom in front of us to really get to the root cause of the problem. And until we identify the root cause, we can't really fix it. And until we identify and fix the root cause of the problem, we aren't going to get to the outcome that we're looking for right now in 2018. We have to go back to the root cause. So when you have this conversation with your colleagues, <laughs> is there a conversation or they don't want to hear anything about it or do you debate a little bit? How does that work? Well, it's usually a little bit of a debate and, and, and you know, really going back to the way that, you know, we are trained and it's sort of in a quote-unquote scientific way of thinking is, is all about, hey, show me the proof, show me the evidence, you know, this, show me where it exists in the body. Let's, you know, dissect a body and show me where the chakras are. And if you can't show it to me, then it doesn't exist. Now let's talk about evidence. Let's talk about things for which there are there is proof. Okay. And, you know, you're never going to be able to do a case control study on parachutes, right? Let's have half the people <laughs> use parachutes and have half the people not jump out of, <laughs> not use a parachute jumping out of a plane. That, that study is not going to happen. Um, and so... I think that, and again, that's that's what makes all this so fascinating too, is that, yes, a lot of things are very black and white, and yet, if it was that easy, right, why wouldn't everybody have six-pack abs? Because there's something else going on. And, you know, so we have to have an, an open mind, and we have to, to me, it's all about tools in the toolbox, right? If I'm uh, limiting myself to just a certain kind of tool in the toolbox, I'm not going to have the best outcome as opposed to having an infinite array of tools in my toolbox and say, okay, this is not working. Let's try this other approach. Now let's have an open mind to what, what tools might be available. And this could be from other disciplines, from other parts of the world, from other cultures. You know, Just because I'm not seeing it here or I haven't seen it yet doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Dr. Vidge, we're uh, just wrapping things up here. I want to direct or give our listeners a chance to f- learn more about you, what you do, your book. Can, where can they find more details if they want to dive deep a bit into more of what you have going on? Um, well, several places. Uh, all the usual places. Uh, my website is drvidge.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-V-I-J.com. But I'm all on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
you can in the book you can find it on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, and, and a lot of local bookstores as well. And I've been really, really gratified with the amazing response that I've gotten. And every time I get some feedback from someone that says, "Hey, I really like this part," or "This really made a difference," that makes my day. So I'd love to hear from your listeners and hear some feedback on what they think about these ideas. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Vijay. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on, sharing your expertise with us, and sharing some of your time with us. I loved it. I loved it. Cheers. Thank you, Joe. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and sticking around until the end. Thanks to Dr. Vidge for coming on and sharing his expertise with us. Again, so much going on there. I love his book. I'm going, honestly, going to pick it up and flip through. I'm going to try some of his recipes. I love chopping it up in the kitchen. That's a form of meditation for me. So I'm looking forward to trying some of his recipes and learning how to prevent as opposed to treat because that's something that I'm passionate in about as well more details as to what we have going on is at trueformlife.com this is where we do more meal planning recipes grocery shopping lists and more we actually also have a monthly membership where we put together all these together to help you see the most results possible exclusively for exploring mind and body listeners we offer the first month for one dollar so if you'd like to check that out come inside and see what we have going on you can check us out there's no obligation just send us a message at trueformlife.com let us know you're interested and you heard about this promotion on the show and we'll set you up. All past shows are going up on exploringmindandbody.com. So if you ever miss a show, you can always go back and check out past shows there. You can also download our free app on any Apple device so you can download the shows and take you take them with you wherever you go. And that's all I have for you today. I'm so grateful for you, for you being here with us for this platform to share these experts and uh, we couldn't be here without you. So thank you for that. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.